0: Greetings, God Network News fans, to another great series that we'll be doing on movements. For these next few weeks, we've got some exciting podcasts that have been recorded by some colleagues of ours, all on the topics of movements, what makes movement leaders, what makes a movement, all kinds of exciting things. We're going to be focusing a lot on what God's doing in this season of missions, which is movements of peoples, whole people groups to Christ. There's amazing things happening, miracles everywhere. One of our organizations that we are partnering with, 2414, is already monitoring 1,360 movements. And each of these movements have over 56,000 new believers among them. And these are just amongst unreached people groups. So God is up to something really fantastic. And we're going to be looking into this in the next few weeks of our podcast of God Network News. Portions of our podcasts will be made up of... Of rebroadcasted podcast interviews from a friend of ours named Steve Addison. Steve Addison is a great podcaster and very passionate about movements of peoples to Christ. And Steve has his own podcast, very successful podcast, with over 226 podcast episodes. And the name of his podcast is On the Road to No Place Left. And we highly recommend that you subscribe to his podcast because he has an overwhelming library of exciting topics related to movements. If you want to learn more about movements, this is the place to find the information. He has lots of training and tools and other resources that will really make your investigation of this topic successful. So we really want to thank Steve Addison and his partners there at movements.net forward slash podcast. That's how you can find it at movements.net forward slash podcast for all of the resources that he has given us for these next few podcasts. Thank you very much, Steve. So let's get right into the interview with a good friend of ours, David Garrison.
1: I'm like, I'm glad I'm recording it because I just wanted to start clacking away as you were doing that. Do you have anywhere that we could find that in a list form or do we need to just take good notes as we listen to this?
2: Yeah, I would recommend people listen to this podcast And take notes because, uh, other than written down on my iPad right now, I don't know that those are recorded anywhere. As I was writing these down, I thought, you know, with each one of these, I'm reminded of individuals and Mm -hmm. anecdotes and examples Mm -hmm. of when people allowed these, I think these God given insights in their life to propel them forward. And then they passed them on. And in my heart and mind, they've they've found a resting place. And I just encourage all those who listen to this Mm -hmm. to, uh, To realize you're part of something bigger than yourself, that God is speaking to us uh, through all kinds of brothers and sisters all over the world. And what a joy and a privilege it is to get to be a part of that.
1: Dude, Uh, dude. man, that's awesome. Man, I, I want you just to, just, I don't know, share from your heart. Well, let's just think there's more movements than any other time in history. Categorically, God's doing something that's amazing. You know, and from back from the time you wrote I think that first little pamphlet, maybe 1996, uh, talking about the characteristics of church planting movement. What's interesting to me is these movement leaders don't necessarily look like what we would consider traditional missionaries. They're from Africa. They're from Asia. They're from the Middle East. They're from various places. But right now, we're in one of the most interesting times in history. And what would you do to encourage the body right now as we think about, man, multiplying movements? We think about what God's doing. I can share a couple of places in South Asia where they're seeing about 30 to 40% of the people here in the gospel are responding positively right now. We're seeing people in the U S start discovery Bible studies online, left and right in the midst of suffering and difficulty, God's doing something. But anyway, I just, I think it'd sort of encourage the body.
2: Well, it is remarkable, Jeff, what's happening today. And, you know, I think some of the reasons it's happening today is that we are able to communicate better with each other. Um, I was, um, I was traveling across uh, South Sudan with um, Robin Hathaway years ago. It's about 1989. And uh, we would sleep out uh, under the stars in the Sahara Desert at night. And these uh, Ethiopian and uh, Sudanese uh, guys who were with us would uh, put on the, the, the radio and listen to BBC. I remember one night they were listening to a BBC report about how uh, this fellow named Kabila had just toppled the government in the Congo and had taken over the country. And uh, as they listened to it, they turned to each other and said, we could do that. We could do that. And I thought, wow. You know, in a previous generation, they wouldn't have had radio to know what was possible. They would have continued to live under a, at that time, it was just a newly emerging uh, uh, Islamic totalitarian government in the, the Sudan. But now we hear what's going on in different corners of the world and that's one reason the book uh, a wind in the house of islam and really church planning movements both were important i think was because they told the body of christ look what the body of christ is doing in different corners of the great commission and people got inspired by that they started thinking could that happen here and why not and then what's it going to take to see that happen here So they started learning and adapting uh, best practices to their own context. And I think that's what we're seeing today. Uh, That's one thing, is that the body of Christ is learning from the body of Christ how to do the work of Christ in the world. And praise God, we live in an environment where even in these highly restricted contexts, stories are coming out of how Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Sikhs and other Uh, People, non Christian people groups, are discovering Jesus Christ for themselves and coming to faith. And so I think that's very exciting. I think another thing is very exciting is an unleashed laity. There was a time when it seemed like uh, the Great Commission was professionalized to the extent that, you know, if you weren't uh, a highly trained, highly educated, uh, fully ordained uh, clergyman, you weren't really considered qualified to be on mission with God. And that's so alien to, you know, to the first century, to the Great Commission that Jesus issued to a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. Mm -hmm. And I think we're rediscovering now that, uh, you know, all your seminary degrees, and I've got seminary degrees and a, you know, PhD, um, but that doesn't put me one inch closer to God or one inch closer to to being Christ-like. And what it takes to have that uh, Christ-like, godly character that comes through the Holy Spirit is something that's accessible to every man, every woman, every child, whether they're from a Muslim background, a Hindu background, a secular background, communist background, or a church background. Uh, We all have access to that same uh, uh, godly resource through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God's Word, And so I think the unleashing of the laity is something that today is making it possible for movements to break out in places that may never see uh, a uh, seminary-trained, church-ordained professional come from the West. So uh, that's very encouraging, the spread of communication and best practices, and the uh, recognition that all of these things are accessible to any man, any woman, uh, any child who chooses to uh, believe And trust God uh, with uh, with the fruit. That's great.
1: That's good. There's a lot of things I learned from you. I think the you know the wig take and just the focus on the gaps, you know, and that's that's still just been a a big uh, piece and part of my life. But probably the one of the biggest takeaways in my life, man, was you just really groomed us to be learners, you know, and that that was just uh, because sometimes we can say be a learner you know, or we posture ourselves as a learner, but man, I think you really modeled exemplified that, but, um, maybe it's that researcher piece of you, but, and that's just been a big part for me in my life, man, just anything you would speak to related to man being a learner. Cause, um, I, I just, again, it, I might be broadsiding you with a question, but it really was one of those big things that had a huge impact on my life.
2: Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. And I, I saw that in you as well, that, uh, you weren't just uh, just a practitioner. You were one who was ruthlessly evaluating uh, the movements that you were a part of. You'd say, you know, man, we've gotten to fourth generation with several streams, and then we we seem to get stuck here. And so we're we're tackling that as a challenge. That uh, how do we get beyond uh, this uh, fourth generation to? Uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth generation. And then sometimes you get to 10th or 12th and 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 we'd get stuck there. We'd plateau. And so well, what is it that we need to do to get beyond that? Uh, I love being in a community of learners. And it's really not, learning is not an end in itself. It's a tool that God's given us. Uh, but I read the Bible that way, you know, as God's pursuit of man and, and man trying to come to grips with what God has revealed to him. Uh, the Bible is a great, uh, salvation history, Uh, not just a a set of rules and regulations, but sort of an adventure that's working its way out. And uh, you get that in the book of Acts, Bruce Carlton uh, calling his training Acts 29 training. I thought it was just brilliant, Uh, launching us um, into a continuation of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Um, and if you look at it that way and you take the mindset, not that learning is an end in itself, we want to just, you see all these books over my shoulder here. I haven't read all those yet, but, uh, a lot of these are the, uh, the anti-Nicene, the Nicene, and the post-Nicene fathers. I want to learn what they were, you know, learning, uh, not as an end in itself, because we're a part of that same story. You know, where do they make mistakes? They're not all perfect. It's a twist and turn. Sometimes they make a detour and it's a wrong turn. Uh, And and the same with these movements that we're involved in. You know, they're not all perfect. Uh, In fact, none of them are perfect. Um, In fact, there's best practices within those. And if we can learn what were the best things that Ying Kai uh, could teach us, because, boy, you know, we've seen millions come to Christ through that methodology. But what were also the deficits that we need to shore up? Uh, who had the best leadership training programs that we can learn from? Where are the gaps in our understanding where we need to do some more uh, innovation and uh, pioneering new methodologies? And then when we do, let's test those and try those because our, our envision doesn't change. We want to see the whole world come into the lordship of Jesus Christ, that Christ would be all in all. Uh, and until we get to that point, which I don't think is going to happen until Christ returns and we see him face to face, until that happens, we're on this great learning and uh, mutating adventure, continually being transformed into the, the likeness of Christ. And uh, not, that, not that any of us has attained that, uh, but we do look at other brothers and sisters and say, man, uh, that sister over there, she really did a great job at this aspect of uh, modeling Jesus or multiplying Jesus. What can we learn from that? How could we adapt that to our situation? So,
0: you're listening to God Network News podcast with your host Cal Curtis. Look up our website at godnetworknews.com. dot com. You know, when I came out of a
2: graduate school, I, I had seminary behind me and a couple of years as a journeyman, and then a PhD program, and I had it. I had it piled high and deep. You know, I, I thought I knew a lot. I used to know everything. You know, now the as Bob Dylan says. Uh, The older I get, the the less I know. Uh, Bill Smith, who has been a mentor to so many of us, was one of the first people who really taught me how to submit my learning to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That as much joy as we might get from learning new things, that it really is only a tool until we bring it into, you know, as we bring it into submission to the Lordship of Christ, then he can transform it into something that really expands his kingdom both in terms of quantity, which is what you see most obviously in movements, but also in terms of quality, so that people are not just making a decision for Jesus, they're making a decision to become all that Jesus created them to be and all that he desires all of us to be. So that qualitative and quantitative pursuit really is a lifelong adventure. It, It never ends.
1: Any best practices come to mind for developing leaders? Um, anything there that uh, you think of when we when we think about the minimum that we need to see, but then what God could do with somebody that's been um, trained and developed and, and taught to follow the word?
2: Well, one of the things I saw with, with Jeff and with a lot of the best missionaries in South Asia when, when my wife and our kids uh, lived in India was, Taking someone with you, you know those who are willing to say, "I'm never going to go anywhere alone. I'm going to take somebody with me." Uh, they call it the two-two-two principle from Second Timothy two-two. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be very much grounded in Paul's example. He always had a, a partner with him, and I think he was not just trying to train one person, but trying to train trainers of trainers, mm-hmm. uh, so that there's this continual process. And one of the things we learned from people like Curtis Sargent and others uh, was the importance of shadow pastoring that you're always um, recognizing that these guys, uh, even though they may seem so Christ-like when they first come to faith in Jesus, you know, their lives are messy. And to be able to sit down with them, uh, not in the limelight, but behind the scenes, and talk with them about their house church, and uh, the people that they were sharing the gospel with, and what did they learn, and just be a, a, a Christian sounding board. Uh, My buddy uh, Kevin Greeson would often uh, often said, Kevin, you're like a father confessor to some of these guys because, you know, they come into the kingdom, but they've still got uh, they've got uh, stress points in their life and they've got weaknesses. And sometimes they need someone that they trust who will listen to them and will uh, not not uh, condemn or, or judge them because they're not yet perfect, but rather be someone who will tell them the truth. Uh, again, that's where Bill Smith was such a a dear brother to me as one of those people that um, would tell you what you didn't necessarily want to hear, but praise God, he was willing to do it. Uh, Something that happens when you become an adult, uh, people start talking to you and saying what they think you want to hear. And uh, boy, that's just the, the shortest path to, uh, Rock and ruin, you know you just after a while you you think you you're all that, and the truth is not a one of us is you know we're all uh, sinners saved by grace, and we need that grace every day for the uh, the trials and the temptations and the foibles that uh, we stumble upon, so cultivating that kind of a uh, brother or sister who will speak truth in your life in love and in a constructive way, we used to do this in the early days of uh our efforts into the 1040 window, we used to do something called iron on iron sessions, where we would get uh, half a dozen strategy coordinators, each with their own people group uh, among whom they wanted to see a church planning movement. And they would sit in a circle and we'd say, okay, guys, when you come in here, check your ego at the door and sit down, share briefly, here's my people group. Here's what uh, God's vision is for them. Uh, and then, uh, share where you see God at work. What are the good things that are happening? And then share where you're really struggling, where you've hit some roadblocks or some landmines or where there's prodromes, which are syndromes that are emerging. And -hmm. if you don't get these things nipped in the bud, they're going to be a full blown syndrome. And after you would share for about 10 minutes, you would uh, pull out your notepad or your keyboard and uh, your computer and you would say, okay, I'm going to just listen now, speak into my life. And these other brothers and sisters would share with you what they felt like uh, God was speaking to them about where you were struggling or even about where you were having success so that you could uh, make it uh, more of what God desired in a, in a trajectory that would lead to that vision that God had for them. And, and there's something about that. I think in, in the, the model that we had come into previously was one that said, you know, you get a supervisor and that supervisor sort of is all-knowing. And he looks at your stuff, and he speaks into it. But uh, we had a real blessing in the early days of our efforts into the 1040 window. I was the, I was the director of the program, and everybody knew I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> you know, we were going into virgin territory where we there were dragons, and there were demons, and there were worldviews that none of us knew how to defeat. But by sitting around in, an, in a circle where each one of us would speak and speak into each other's lives and be vulnerable, we really created a model of, of uh, the body of Christ, learning from the body of Christ, how to do the work of Christ. And after we would share and we'd get this feedback, the, the other brothers would come around and lay hands on that brother who had been vulnerable and shared his, his or her vision and his or her frustrations as well as successes. And they would lay hands on that, that brother or sister because now uh, the strategy was revised. And it it now had the input of the whole body of Christ and not just uh, that individual's lonely pursuit of uh, of really an impossible dream. Mm -hmm. And that that created a spiral where we were getting better. We were learning. We were becoming more effective. And uh, when someone would have a breakthrough, boy, everybody would just pour into that person, teach me. How did you do this? How would it work in this situation? What about this? And it was this wonderful yeasty environment where the the kingdom was just uh, growing in our methodologies and our understanding and our best practices.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think a lot of times we want to look for a uh, a book or even just a list of things. Here's what you got to check off to develop a leader. But basically, what I heard you say there is a lot of relationships is what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Yeah, so we're in
2: this together. Yeah, you yeah. want to have a you want to have people who can speak into your life. Mm, that's good.
1: You know, you started us off with that book, essentially laying out the characteristics of church planning movements, you know, and then as time emerged, you know, there began to be some of these, we used to call them best practices or fruitful practices. It's funny, I sort of find myself now, just recently, I was, I led a group in actually a mid level, we were doing I L I out in LA. And I actually just did one in South Asia recently. And I went back to the 10 universals of uh, church planting movements and sort of what the Bill Smith hammers on is not about the method. It's about the person of God, that God uses. You know, and Steve's quote was, um, I know I know I can't say it as well as he did, but it was something along the line of, hey, we can have methodological giants who are spiritual pygmies. But the reality is we need these spiritual giants and uh, the methods help us. And you've already stated that this is a pursuit of character, integrity, skills. Man, I learned so much from you about taking sort of best practices. And yet at the same time, man, I felt like that was one of the the beauties we had in South Asia was just a hunger to pursue God. It's been on my heart uh, right now because we have so many methodologies and uh, have this fear of uh, man, let's not be spiritual pigments.
2: That's a good word, Jeff. And, <clears throat> you know, I came into a situation where in some ways we almost had the opposite. We had some people who were spiritual giants, but fruitfully, they were there was just nothing going on there. It was kind of all about them and their relationship with God, and, and they, they satisfied themselves with that. But uh, Jesus said, uh, and this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And there's been some debate about that. What does that mean? Did he mean spiritual fruit or did he mean uh, new believers? And the answer is yes. He really meant both. And we can't ever lose sight of that, that it's really not about us or really even about, I'm going to sound controversial, raising up a bunch of godly individuals uh, in our ranks. It's about Christ, that Christ would be all in all. And that means the glory of God that we want to see multiplied across our people group has got to be multiplied in us as well. And we hold each other accountable. We continually remember that it's not about us. It's about uh, how much of Christ is in us, how much of us is in Christ. And so uh, it's a never ending personal process of trying to uh, be vulnerable and open to the body of Christ to say, help me, help me be more effective. Help me be more like Jesus a better husband in Jesus' name, a better father in Jesus' name, a better son, a better daughter, a better wife, a better uh, sister, that each of us would be all that Christ wants us to be and that we would reproduce that model, that vision, that sort of uh, always unattainable ideal of uh, Christ being all in all, so that when we look at the people group among whom we're working, we don't limit ourselves just to how many people have heard the gospel today, but how many people, once they've heard the gospel, once they've accepted the gospel, are now passionately pursuing Jesus and will do so in every area of their life for the rest of their lives. Uh, that's, um, That's the thing. That's the magnificent obsession, I think, that's got to continue to be circulated among us, that we, like iron on iron, continue to sharpen one another to be like Jesus in the way we see things, the way we see society, the way we see lostness, the way we see our family, the way we see our own personal uh, fragility. Um, Because at the end of the day, we've never fully attained. Uh, If if William Carey at the end of his life can say, I'm just a worm, then uh, we're realizing the closer we get to God, the more we realize how far short we are of that uh, Christ-like ideal.